welcome to National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And we are thrilled to be bringing you our first bonus episode of National Treasure Hunt Season 6. We have a very special guest, and we can't wait for you to meet him, so we're going to keep this opener as short as we can today. Yes, so... As per usual, you can find us on social media. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. We are also available for your listening ears on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. You can find out more about us, our upcoming tour, and everything else you might want to know at nthuntpodcast.com. Additionally, you can pre-order our book, National Treasure Hunt, One Step Short of Crazy, at TuckerDSPress.com. Okay, so today's guest on the show is none other than Dustin Ingram. You all know Dustin if you've been watching National Treasure Edge of History on Disney+, Plus because he plays Miles Morrow, a.k.a the live-in nurse of Agent Sadusky, who makes a a really resounding reappearance, I would mm. say, late that, in the season. That is one way to put it. <laughs> now, we uh, met Dustin at the premiere of Edge of History back in December when we flew out to Hollywood, and he was so lovely and so funny that we knew we had to get him on the show, and oh my gosh, I'm so glad we did. It, I mean, I don't even think, we say this every time, we we can't hype this up enough. There are not <laughs> enough good things to say about the conversation that we had with Dustin. I mean, it's just, it's it's great. I think every, I really hope everyone enjoys it. Absolutely. So what might you expect to get from this episode? Well, let's give you just a little sneak preview. We're going to start off telling you a little bit about some surprise connections between Dustin's early acting roles and the National Treasure franchise as a whole. We're also going to get a little more information on the backstory of Miles as a character, both what Dustin was given and what he created himself. And of course, I mean, y'all, Miles was one of the only characters to interact with an alive Agent Sadusky on Edge of History. So what was it like to work with Harvey Keitel, the legend? All that and more. Check it out. (laughs) Absolutely. And like we said, we're keeping this super short so you can dive right in. But guys, after you listen, go give Dustin a follow over on Instagram. Go make sure you're watching him on Edge of History on Disney+. Plus. He's particularly important in some recent episodes. So, Em, you ready to dive in? Let's should we, go. Should we do it? All right, everyone, let's welcome Dustin Ingram to National Treasure Hunt. All right, everyone, we are thrilled to be welcoming a friend of the podcast onto National Treasure Hunt today. We are joined by the one and only Dustin Ingram, who you all know as Miles in National Treasure Edge of History. Dustin, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Not only does I know the secrets, but your hosts know the secrets, too. (laughs) oh my gosh have you been listening to our show of course i gotta do a little research of course oh my gosh goodness (laughs) the episode with the wibs is uh wonderful they are the 
I, I, people say this all the time about the people they work with, but they are some of the sweetest people I've ever met in my whole life. Mm -hmm. Genuine, sweet, good, kind folks. It seems like that feels like a very universal sentiment. We've been in touch with them for a while now and they've just been nothing but delightful. I mean, we're just, we're honored to kind of have them on our side because, you know, (laughs) we're, we're trying to do something creative with something that they originated in a sense and so that could easily not go well you know (laughs) oh my gosh yeah of course but they actually care about the people that care about national treasure which is do it means the the first time we actually met them in person was at the the red carpet where we also met you and they immediately marianne came over and hugged us like immediately (laughs) we had not interacted in person it was so it was such a nice feeling to just be like oh no like we're actually accepted she's not just like saying this yeah yeah it's not all an act right totally did did you interview them for the movies ever no no No. we actually only started this project back in 2020 oh cool yeah so um we've been fans of the movies for forever but um this project was uh very luckily well timed as it turns out Uh uh-huh apparently yeah you guys knew it you had your finger on the pulse of all things national treasure you know, I think it was um, Lyndon who asked us at the premiere if we were clairvoyant. Ah, so, yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah, yes. that makes sense. That that makes sense for you guys and Lyndon. All of that <laughs> is the perfect encapsulation of you three. Amazing. Okay, well, I am so excited to jump in with some questions for you. Um, and the first one, I I guess we we always like to give our guests an opportunity to really introduce themselves to our listeners who might not be fully familiar with you beyond this particular role. So sure. do you do you want to start by telling us just a little bit about yourself and even how you came to be in this business as an actor? I would love to. Um, I started acting when I was five on stage. Both of my parents are performers. So my mom is a dancer. Dad is an actor singer. They met at a production of Cabaret. So the musical theaterness is uh, in the blood. And I kind of followed them, was never pressured into it, and just saw what mom and dad did and wanted to do it. So I did my first show, Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Oh, my gosh. No way. Yeah. Okay, Dustin. Was that yours, too? That So I've never been in a show, but I I play in pit orchestras for them, and that was like on my bucket list and I I did accomplish that. My parents used to take me to see Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat every year oh, when boy, I was that's... younger. So and we actually just watched it recently with my fiance. Um wow. it, that is amazing. Were you one of the little kids? I was one of the little kids. One of the little kids. One amazing. Of the little kids. I can still tell you all the colors that are in the coat. You know, it's in, yeah, it's ingrained in me for some reason. Every year, though. Wow. <laughs> that might be too much for me. We were dedicated. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Um, so, yeah, we did that show. My dad actually ended up doing that at the Kodak Theater in Hollywood. He does, uh, he was Pharaoh and is an amazing, he used to be an Elvis impersonator and just killed it. Oh, awesome. Uh, so, yeah, that started and then it just kept going and started you know, doing more leading roles. I played Oliver Twist. I played Colin Craven. I did all the, you know, young boy things. And then at my church that I grew up in, they did this little film. And so I just did a background part in the film and was just hooked. Something bit me, a little bug. 
And I told my parents I want to try doing TV and film. Uh-huh. And having not been entirely supported by their parents, they went the complete opposite way and said, we're doing it, whatever you want. My mom quit her job so she could drive me back and forth to LA. And yeah, I booked my first commercial, a Mercedes commercial that yeah. transitioned into a Nickelodeon Disney kid for years and years, all the way up into uh, now where I'm playing a lot of bad guys recently. Okay. Serial killers and creepos and yeah. What is up with that? Okay, so I mentioned to <laughs> I you. I mentioned this to you on Instagram, but I first knew you as Alex in Good Trouble on Freeform. Oh, yeah. And not he also, guy. not the best guy. What no, is yeah. up with that? I don't know. I guess I just do jerk well. Hopefully it doesn't <laughs> apply to my real life, but it's very fun to play. I'll tell you that. You know, I, I'm not to be overly, you know, crazy or nice, but so far oh, you seem like exactly the opposite. Quite literally. Of those characters. Okay, wonderful. So. Wonderful. Thank you. Also, can I just say I love you want to you want to start talking how we talk national treasure. You yeah. mentioned the family ties with like Elvis impersonation and everything. Very relevant to Edge of History, but That's Mer- true. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Mercedes commercial. Uh, Mercedes is one of the most prominent product placements yeah. in the National Treasure movies. That's true. All those all those know. car chases. I'm trying to think of all the other commercials I've done. <laughs> is there any Liberty Mutual or AOL? What else is it? Liberty Netflix? Bell. Well, no, the Liberty oh, Mutual commercials really? have the Statue of Liberty in the background, don't they? True. Oh my gosh, it's all connected. All connected. You I've were born. Destined. Amazing. You were born to be in this franchise. Yeah. It's called a Dustin Destiny. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I mean, obviously, you didn't plan uh, these commercials, but. Right. Prior to joining the Edge of History cast, what was your relationship with the National Treasure films themselves? I always wonder if people um, lie to you guys about their experience with this stuff, if they want to impress you or make you think that, you know, it was a big part of their life. I've definitely watched them multiple times. I loved them when they came out. And like, I had to go back when, you know, when we were talking and you talked about Mitch. It's like, wait, which is Mitch? (laughs) And I go, yeah, of course, of course, of course. So sometimes I need a refresher, but I absolutely loved them when they came out. And that's not just fan service or me trying to make the mouse happy. (laughs) I love that. And I remember, I remember we talked to you before you were, I mean, you seemed pretty knowledgeable when you brought up the whole um, red light camera trick in the second movie. I mean, these are, these are, that I mean, to us, that is impressive. We, okay. you know, it's more than a lot of people got. Okay. True. Yeah, I remember the the first one way better, of course, than the second, just because I had yeah. more time with it. I'm I'm always amazed at how many years ago they came out. Yeah. Right. It blows my mind the gap in between the show and the second one. Yeah. And yeah. especially with how much people love them and wanted more, it's a miracle to me that didn't happen sooner. Of course. After talking to the Wibs, I know that that's not as easy as it sounds. And this was years and years and years in the making. Gosh darn it. Right. Um, Right. But yeah, it's very cool to be a part of the legacy. I mean, so I don't know if you saw this on our Instagram, but we have a book coming out in April. I did see that. Yeah. How cool is that? Oh, we're pretty stoked. Not, yeah, no, not gonna lie. Be. Pretty cool if we say so ourselves. <laughs> yeah. but... You are humble. Just ask you. Um, but actually, I think actually the process of writing that book made my appreciation for the second movie increase much more because I, oh, I was why? 
because we did a lot of digging to to kind of better understand what parts of that movie don't make sense and why they don't make sense. And so we were able to answer a lot of those questions. And then once you fill in the blanks with like what you were supposed to see or what the backstory was supposed to, to say, Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. like, Oh my gosh, this like, it opens up a whole new world for the franchise. So um, it was so, it's so easy to love the first one because it all fits together so beautifully. Everything fits perfectly. You know, it's pretty poetic. Yeah, there was what definitely was the... less left on the cutting room floor of yeah. the first one. <laughs> oh, yeah. What was the biggest takeaway from the second, or what's the most interesting little tidbit that was left out? Oh my gosh. Um, Emily, I don't know if you have a different answer to this from your perspective. For me, there are two, but the one I'll say is that we've often contemplated on the podcast the the true relationship between Ben and Sadusky, mm-hmm. and why his actions are sometimes so contradictory like sometimes it seems like he wants him to succeed and other times he's you know pulling a gun on him on the roof of the library of congress in a deleted scene from the second movie and the the wibberleys confirmed for us that based on our readings of some other materials and the final filming script and things like that um sadusky was basically using ben the whole time because there was a relic inside of Cibola that was Masonic and it uh, connects to the series. It's the, uh-huh. the, the Jade box. Um, but like that Sadusky was a little more selfish and nefarious than we give him credit for. Interesting. The, uh, it just came to me. What if the dementia was setting in also at that point and was just triggering some, you know, borderline personality stuff that comes with that could be ways you could explain it away totally although i'll be honest with you watching the beginning of edge of history i was not convinced he had dementia i know i know i i definitely don't think he does i I was i was convinced that he might a little really a little a little and that's only because i i like have people in my life that are like have some memory uh things so like some of the stuff and like more like the the quick personality changes were kind of like cluing me into it but i mean yeah it was very clear that he at a certain point he was just talking about something that seemed irrational but i mean we as fans right know that it's no better (laughs) i think too i i this is my own thing that i built in when miles says to jess as we're walking down the hallway um just you know he has dementia you know he thinks i'm agent smith all of that stuff is to cover for the fact or at least embellish maybe his what little memory stuff he might have Mm -hmm. so that if he does say anything about miles that i can cover it already like if he's on Mm. to me if he thinks anything's going on that i can get in front of him be like this guy's crazy just yeah don't take him at his word just in case that's super smart. Oh, yeah. I like, that. I like that a lot too. And it actually leads me into the next <laughs> yeah. question. Hey, which, perfect. Yeah, I mean, you I mean, you are prepared for this. I, I think we can agree. Um, what backstory do you get given when it comes to a character like Miles? Right? Like he is um a character that becomes very important. You wouldn't know it from the beginning. You expect him to kind of fade into the background mm-hmm. after Sadusky passes away, but he comes back with a a vengeance of sorts um so what sort of backstory are you given and then what additional backstory if any do you create as the actor yeah that's a lot of fun 
for me personally. I don't know if it is for other actors, but that's a blast. And it was interesting because the whips were both loose and tight-lipped with different <laughs> stuff. So there were certain things they would tell me, certain things they wouldn't. Like I didn't know whether or not Miles killed Sadusky or had anything to do with that. Um, but the backstory was that Billy had found me in a bad place and then I could kind of fill that in. So I filled it in with drugs and living on the street and just not having any real purpose and really at his wits end. So she comes with this money, um, knowing that I might be of use to her. There's this then other backstory that I create where I, you know, went to school for coding or hacking or something like that, mm. where she found me. I was really good at it, got wrapped up in all this stuff, fell out. So yeah, Billy was kind of like, uh, a rescuer or a maternal figure and it was really just fueled by money i mm. I, I think mm. miles couldn't care less about the treasure or any of that stuff and really just wants to be a part of something and feel connected or loved and hopefully uh, uh you guys have seen all of them right yeah we have yeah i still haven't seen this this next one except for the little bit of adr that i did but um <laughs> I'm hoping you think people will cry. I think people will cry when I die. I mean, I was pretty sad. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. I mean, I'm an easy crier, so I don't mm. know if it 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 sure. like says a lot coming from me. I'm totally but, joking. Like I'm yes. Totally <laughs> uh, but like something like that was a surprise and was even a a rewrite mm. like a week or two before I was told to oh. where the. Um, network said we need just some more danger we need this to feel a little bit more dangerous or like there is something at stake or there's some loss that happens because we only have seen that one guy maybe perish who fell down you know the the trap yep. and, you know I, maybe he's alive maybe he's not but i love how quickly <laughs> billy gives up on him yeah uh, we yeah gotta go so <laughs> yeah that was kind of the initial backstory that i got and then i just get to fill in other parts and at the end of the day, if it's not a playable action or something that you will really see um, on screen or something that will inform the performance, I try not to waste my time on it. Like that I used to when really? I was a younger actor. I would just write pages and pages of my mom and my dad and what they did and how we came to all of this stuff that just didn't matter and, right. uh, for me. It was a waste of time. Well, you said something that made me wonder. How's... How many scripts in advance did you get to see? Or you, were you literally seeing them one at a time, like the day before you were shooting them? One at a time for me. Oh. Yeah. I'm sure some of the other kids got more in advance, but yeah, one at a time. Interesting. Does that make it difficult to, you know, because fr so from the beginning, right, Aubrey, Aubrey and I, at least in talking, were kind of like, mm something might be up mm. with miles like possibly yeah but if you don't know like the eventual turn that your character mm. is gonna take is that make it difficult to like just have to go episode to episode and like connect all the performances um yes and no one it's really exciting because it's almost like i get to watch along with mm. everybody so each episode was like receiving the next chapter of a book I was really into. So that's fun to get. But with things that have twists and turns like this, 
for me, I almost don't want to know. It helps, of course. Mm. And if they were willing to tell me, I would, it's, it's absolutely helpful. But then I can just play the reality of the moment, the reality of the scene, and not worry about where it's going so I don't have to leave. Because the trick is to trick the audience into thinking that you're either good or bad or wherever it's at. And right. you can very clearly see in the script what do they want people to think of him at this point. And then I try to pepper in my own subtlety and my own will he, won't he. But it's kind of fun not knowing because I'm being tricked along with you. So I'm able to give like something hopefully more genuine than if I did and was playing against it. Right, mm. right. Okay, well, were you personally in any scenes or parts of scenes that eventually didn't make it in? Or did we see all of you that was like filmed to your knowledge? To my knowledge, I haven't seen this coming Wednesday's episode. What episode number is that? Eight. Eight? Yeah, that sounds right. I haven't seen eight, but so far, uh, yeah, everything's been in there, thankfully. That's the scary part as an actor. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, all of my <laughs> stuff is in there. Well, speaking, you know, of getting to do, you know, stuff as an actor, potentially scary stuff, uh -huh. um, Miles was actually one of the only Edge of History characters that got to interact with Agent Sadusky before his yeah. untimely demise. Um, what can you tell us about working with Harvey Keitel? I had been told by people leading up to it that had worked with him or knew people that worked with him to just buckle up because he is, again, one of the nicest, most fun, congenial dudes on set. And he was. He was exactly that. He showed up and is still the thing I was most impressed with him. Not most impressed because I don't need to be impressed by Harvey Keitel for crying out loud. But the thing that brought me the most joy, I'll say, is watching how much joy it brings him. Uh -huh. like he still loves to act. You can tell that he still loves to play. And he wasn't just showing up for a paycheck or anything like that. He clearly cared about the IP and... Mm -hmm. The lineage of this entire thing would really take his time asking questions, carving out moments. I got to, I just sat in the room while him and um, the scene with him and Jess took place because I'm, you know, outside, but I wanted to watch and just take in mm -hmm. Mr. Keitel. And he just cares and wants it to be real and matter and have the beats built in and moment to moment um, hit the way it's supposed to hit. And he was so kind to all of us, too. Aww. He said at the very end, after uh, we posed for a picture and we're saying goodbye to him, he shook my hand real nice and firm. And he said, Mel Brooks would love you. Oh, my like, God. Thank you so much. I'm not entirely sure what that means, but that's a huge compliment. <laughs> I'll take it. Wow. But yeah, super nice guy. That's memorable for sure. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I love that, you know, you know, I feel like we're finding out kind of that um, even, you know, people like Harvey are, you know, very invested in the franchise. Yeah. And that seems to be something that um, the, the Wibberleys and just really everyone involved with the movies and the show have been able to kind of like keep going the entire mm -hmm. time like it seems like everyone that they bring on whether they're you know people who have been in it for a while or new people everybody like very much is buying into this and like you said isn't yeah. just there for a paycheck yeah totally how could you not be because i mean they're just good people want to be part of good things right yeah 
And yeah, to have, you know, Riley Poole show back up and then Armando's character in the FBI. And yeah, it's cool just to have these little nods and uh, it feels as it should, like the continuation of it, not something entirely new. Yeah. As well as something entirely new. True. I think something that I've noticed watching through each of the episodes multiple times at this point um, to try to fully understand them is that there's something for every level of fan in this you know there's the overt nods so that you can't miss them you can't Mm -hmm. miss that you know this is an exact parallel to ben gates saying i'm going to steal the declaration of independence or you know things like that and then for the people who are really in the weeds you'll see a real subtle thing and it's like oh you know we're referencing in 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 uh I think it was your scene, actually. You're referencing a SIM card and how we can use a SIM card to track oh, people. Yeah. And that was actually used in National Treasure too. But, yeah. you know, more subtle things like that, which um, I've really yeah. appreciated. Well, I don't know if you know about this one. Oh, man, if I could break news for you guys or show you something you didn't pick up. Oh, man. I, I love that. Is, okay. Did you notice the watch Miles wears? Is it a Submariner? No. No, then no, I didn't know. So there is a specific watch that the bad guys wear in the movies, and it's this black band. All of the bad guys have this watch on, and Miles, from the start, has been wearing the exact same watch as a little nod of like, hey, he's working with the bad guys. So Uh, people that are very perceptive would notice that. Oh, oh my my gosh. gosh. I'm going to have to go look for that now. You did it. Well done, Dustin. Now I yes. feel like we need to have a whole episode where we like analyze like their costumes and wardrobe. Stuff. wardrobe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. Yeah. Oh, oh that makes me feel good. Okay, wonderful. Um, you're you're officially a national treasure hunter. Sweet. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, these um, cool little digital watches. Check them out. Serious. Okay, definitely will. Um, I mean, watches alone are a really significant thing in, in the National yeah. Treasure franchise in the universe. So yeah. I love that of all the things, that was the accessory that was chosen yeah. for the, that purpose. The prop guy was very excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it was that's like cool. his, little, his little darling. It was cool. <laughs> okay. So I want to get into a little bit more of the fact that you are, you're a bad guy. Okay. We've, we've covered it. We've, we've acknowledged the fact, and now we can maybe analyze this a little bit further. And, and I'm not going to say what it says about you, Dustin, but. but... <laughs> Please do. Let's turn this into a therapy session. <laughs> Isn't that what podcasts are fundamentally? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you gave us a little bit of the backstory about miles and his his working with or for billy it seems like if we're to believe the backstory that casey gave when she was talking to jess in one instance or earlier in the series it seems like billy has a tendency to sort of look for people who are down on their luck and who are maybe a little bit more in desperation mode and kind of offer a lifeline and in a way you know i'm sure the person in the moment being offered that lifeline sees it as a very positive thing but Billy is fully taking advantage, right? So is there anything else about the relationship between Miles and Billy that we didn't get to see on screen that you think our audience would like to know about or be interested in? Because I don't know, Miles, and we'll get to this in a second, he does have a a very sudden turn, you know, a little more than halfway through where he's kind of like, yeah, I'm I'm out. Mm -hmm. So 
is is he i guess like is he never suspicious or like not cool with billy's mo like the fact that he was like yeah i was off the night of sadusky's murder just casually like yeah i knew it was happening i just wasn't working that night yeah yeah i think yes she absolutely preys on people that are on you know their last legs and i think the way i had just had to justify it was that nothing this serious had happened i was probably kept in the dark or mm-hmm. miles was i have this tendency when i'm working on something i use i because it keeps me in it but i love then that when i refer That's to good. the character we forgot to switch it um uh yeah miles i think when he sees the fact that there's some do you guys curse on this podcast you can because Emily will put in like a really fun um, sound effect of, of Ben Gates saying haggis over really? it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, let's try this then. So when this haggis! piece of haggis! starts killing all these sons of haggis! <laughs> dead. It'd be a fun one. <laughs> yeah, I, enjoy that. I think that's when he's miles is like, no, that's, this is too much. I was just told to spy and report back. And that is all that I'm comfortable with. And you have to also think, he is actually taking care of this guy. So Miles also has to be good at his job of taking care of this older man. Otherwise, he's going to get fired, you know, and somebody else is going to come in. So there's a lot at stake for him to be good, keep Sadusky happy, do what he's supposed to do so that he can spy and still continue to make all of this money. Um, so, yeah, I think once Sadusky gets killed, that's sort of the first uh little tip off that this is maybe not something miles wants anything to do with and that's why you see maybe some tenderness with liam at the funeral or at the wake and then when liam is beat up um i also have this backstory that's totally not uh at all endorsed by anybody at all but i think miles is in love with liam and you know has a bit of a crush on him and maybe always has i love that i love it um so to be close with him to have been close with him over the life or hear about what his grandfather thinks of him. And um, so then when he, when Liam gets beat up, almost well murdered, you know, it's an attempted murder that yeah. he saves him from. That's got to be the last straw because now it's affecting people that he actually, I mean, he actually cared about Sadesky too, but yeah, there's no other backstory, sadly, or anything. I, I so badly wanted to work with, of course, Miss Catherine Zeta. Um, but I don't know if that really answers the question, gosh darn it. I don't even no, know I if think that's it's interesting. I think no, it's very interesting. It was um, super interesting. Oh, okay, great. I had never thought about the fact that, you know, Liam is this ethereal presence in Dustin's life for a while, yeah. but it makes perfect sense now that you mention mm-hmm. it. Yeah. In Miles' life also. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's in Miles the one. Life. <laughs> but Jake Austin Walker is an ethereal presence <laughs> in Dustin's life. Sure. we love that yes yeah. yes it of course <laughs> yeah. so i think something that i mean you you kind of touched on this already but um a, kind of a parallel we noticed was when you're talking about miles i don't know how to say that appropriately miles's yeah something like yeah. that's fine yeah miles's sure. decision <laughs> to save liam right mm. and then you have that nice conversation with him well I, nice is a relative term sure. uh-huh. in the alley because it's a little like Liam's understandably a little upset. Um, and then at the bar and stuff like that, when, you know, you tell him the truth, it's kind of reminiscent of Mitch Wilkinson's kind of sudden change from national treasure Two. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, 
do, do you, were you aware of that kind of relationship or that parallel when you were, you know, acting this or not no, at all? And you no. just, it just happened to be a thing. Yeah. Y'all are the first to bring that to my attention. Not at all. Ugh. This is why I wish I would have known you existed before <laughs> we started shooting. And then I could come to you and get all the dirt and, and ask you what I could tie together and all that stuff. <laughs> but I think it's at a total atonement for miles guilt and sin yeah. mm. um, into the team up. Yeah. The sort of Mitch esque team up. So yeah, to be just loved or liked by anybody, and then also to make up for all the bad Haggis! that he's done. Perfect. I, just, I want this, this episode so to have the most Haggises. It, it will already. It will. Oh, sick. Okay. Um, it's going to be great. So, was it because Aubrey's mentioned that you, and I, I will admit, I have not seen the Good Trouble show. Mm -hmm. Um, Although I, I can imagine that as a child in Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, you were playing like a, a positive role. But she's she's <laughs> yeah. mentioned that, you, you know, sometimes the roles you, you play tend to be a little more on the villainous-ish, not not so great yeah. side. Was questionable it, side. Questionable. Questionable is a better word. Nice. Um, was it difficult for you to kind of make that transition acting wise from being kind of a villain to all of a sudden being like super trying to be super chummy with Liam heroic. I mean, um, it's heroic actions. Heroic, ultimately. Yeah. 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 That's very true. Um, no, I think it's no, it wasn't hard in that it was more exciting and fun mm, because uh -huh. instead of just being, just being a bad guy, the all that I ever want to do as an actor is show range or you know, <laughs> do multiple things at once. So the ability to a play creepy and weird and scary, maybe for younger kids at least, uh, <laughs> to hopefully yeah, likable or anything else. That's very fun to do because I in any of the other bad guy roles I've played, I didn't get to mm. see that arc full. Mm. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Full out. Full force, full circle. Circle. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. I was uh, I dropped out of high school one month into sophomore year, so I think that just came to bite me a little bit. I um, mean, you you sound great, Thank honestly. You so much. I well, that. Thank you. okay. Here's the big question though, because because you might know that on our show, we like to dive into things like the the ethics of the decisions that characters make and, and mm -hmm. things like that as well so the the 50 million dollar question here do you think that miles is vindicated was did he accomplish his goal of helping liam he of course did end up dying as a result of it that's another similarity to mitch here mm -hmm. um did did he accomplish his goal in kind of making the full turn back from a villain into a hero? Is he vindicated? I think it's a $150,000 Bitcoin question. Ah, that oh. is, yes. That he is did decline denied. that. Yes, yes, that is true. I did notice that it was Bitcoin. Yeah. She's crypto queen. Uh, I know, my gosh. It's a good thing Miles didn't because it's tanking right now, apparently. Um, <laughs> Poor Billy. He, the uh, the lovely gal I'm dating right now thought, wouldn't it be cool if we didn't see him decline it in the beginning mm. of that episode? So then the whole episode, you're still wondering, is he not? Is he still? But ah. the whibs know better, of course. 
<laughs> I think absolutely, yes, he is vindicated. Not only because he's basically traded a life for a life. So he saved mm -hmm. Liam, even though he couldn't save or didn't intervene at all in Sadesky's death. And I mean, my gosh, I, I, he literally takes a bullet for the guy. Mm -hmm. How much more vindicate, vindicated can you be? I like That's that. true. Yeah. I like that. Okay. So we do have a handful of questions left, but we are starting to slowly wind down. And I want to get out of the story and a little bit more into, um, you know, the, the process kind of where we started. We'll, we'll, we'll come full circle and wrap around nice, here. Thank you. I yeah. think you mean full force. I do mean full force. Full force, of, yes. What was I thinking? We will come full force with, with the interview. <laughs> Me? Oh my gosh. Um, so I, I can't help but observe as, again, a fan of Good Trouble and, of course, a, a an expert in national treasure lore. That One of the, besides just the whole questionable character situation between the two characters that you play, there's a techie side to both mm -hmm. of them. Yeah. Um, which I personally really loved that. Again, these are little things that I pick up on that really only mean something to me. When you play roles that have similarities, whether big or small, so National Treasure, Good Trouble, anything else, past, present, or future, hmm. are you able to take anything from one character to the next? You know, Do you have any other roles that informed your performance as Miles, or do you envision seeing anything you learned from playing him being applicable to roles in the future? That's a great question. I am an Enneagram type three, usually wing four. Sometimes it goes to wing two, but the, the uniquity and the originality is a big deal for me. So like my biggest pet peeve in the world is being told I look like someone or remind mm. somebody of someone. I, it just makes my blood boil and I don't know why. Interesting. That's a problem I need to talk to my therapist more about maybe, but <laughs> I try to as best as I can, make it new every time. I don't like to bring anything over from one character to the other. I, most of my childhood and teenage years in the business, I was playing a lot of nerds, a lot of geeks, hmm. tall, skinny guy, had a big old you know, head of hair, <laughs> and rightfully so, could play the nerds. And I never wanted to do the nerds the same. I didn't want to get... I was already being typecast, sort of, as the mm -hmm. geeky guy, but I didn't want to be typecast typecast in that I was playing the same role in different shows all the time, just mainly cause it's not fun. And I think hopefully I'll always be a character actor and that's the joy is creating a new character with new quirks and ways of behaving and talking and all that stuff. So maybe they inform it subconsciously from one character to the next, but in my own active conscious mind, I'm trying desperately not to make one anything like the other. That's cool. I mean, I, I imagine things can get really boring for the viewer, but also for you playing the role if, if you didn't do that. So yeah, yeah um, totally. Especially if, cause you know, you weren't the only one who did your research. We read your IMDB page. You've been <laughs> in a lot of things. <gasps> yeah. I've been very blessed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's been pretty fun. There's no better career. It's it seems like a fun one, um, yeah. and partly because you get to meet a lot of people all the mm -hmm. time. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your experience, like on the set. Um, sure. Did you happen to know any of your other castmates prior to filming Edge of History? All brand, um, brand new, brand new, completely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, is I'm that also... typical for you? Yeah, like, for you... the most part. Okay, 
Yeah, it's crazy because just the amount of shows and movies there are that are shooting, it's a miracle if you see the same person. I see a lot of crew members, a lot of the same crew members, one or two here and there, which is always fun. Uh, But instantly, anybody that I worked with, you know, obviously, I, I hope it comes through in any interviews you watch or even just them on screen. They're all very nice people. And there's usually one bad one in the bunch on a show or a movie that you work on. And on this one, there wasn't. There's nobody that you were trying to avoid or didn't want to talk to because they were all super, super warm and welcoming. Um, the hardest part for me is just remembering names. Mm. From set to set, you're meeting 150, 200 people each, you know, every other month or who knows. So I have a little notebook and I write people's names and then three like characteristics about them to try to help me remember. Ooh. But I, I wish I knew I people. Like now we're close friends. I just shot a self-tape with Tommy Savas, um, who plays, you know, the, um, uh, what is he? What is that that he does? Is that the, Dr. Uh, Zeke? Yeah. Yeah, the coroner? Coroner. He's a coroner, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so him and I still talk. Lyndon and I are still close. The four of us will go out often. And it's just a good group of folks. Oh, I love that. That's so cool when it transcends that that experience, the 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 filming experience. Because mm-hmm. I mean, it was like six months long, I heard, but that was also yeah. ended a little while ago now. Yeah, shot at the beginning of 2022, so yeah, started in January. At least for me, they may have started a little bit earlier. And then Harvey Keitel and I usually will hit up the clubs um, like every Friday night, so him and I are pretty close and tight still. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's that is incredible. Yeah, that's a joke. That's a joke. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. it's a good one for everybody listening. Yeah, <laughs> he's a good boy. He's a good boy. Oh um. Okay. So, aside from Miles coming back from the dead, mm-hmm. uh, which I think <laughs> we can all agree we would uh, like to see in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. What? Just, I guess, as someone who was been involved, but also as, I guess, now, because Miles is dead, unfortunately, an mm-hmm. outside observer, wh- what would you like to see in a potential second season of Edge of History? The the Wibs came up to me at the premiere at the after party and said, so we were thinking Miles had a twin brother. And I said, yeah, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Please, please, please. But aside from... Uh, any form of Miles's face reprising. I want to see kind of like with the second one. I'm hoping that with every season that they uh, will hopefully get some brand new treasure, obviously mm-hmm. some new locale. I want mm-hmm. them to go from, you know, New Orleans to somewhere else. Um, and then just to see it heightened the way that they did so well in the movies, just to mm-hmm. see things get bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, we're already breaking her dad out of prison. You know, a Mexican prison. That's just yeah. wild in and of itself. I love it so much. So yeah, new locales, new treasures. And I think the thing they're great at is uh, the Wibberleys, is all the twists and turns. I can't even imagine writing yeah. something like this or concocting a story like this. And that's the most fun for me. The puzzles are great, but for me, the uh, just not knowing really what's going to happen at any point is very yeah. exciting. For sure. And the last few episodes are are that on steroids, right? Like, See, I don't know what happens after episode eight. So Wait, you don't be... know the ending? Nope. 
I have no idea. So I let me tell a, you. Yeah, well, you and I can text back and forth as it's um happening, Emily. Just tell me when you're gonna watch it. And <laughs> we'll live tweet perfect. it together. Perfect. That yeah. is perfect. Do I show up again? <laughs> do I come do I come back? Do they show my dead corpse? They they show you in like the the recap part. Hey. And maybe maybe one of the you know how they like do like a quick flashback and it's like sort of darker. Yeah. That yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that you die very well on screen. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. There was a lot of talk about how much blood can we get away with on a Disney show for this demographic? Ooh. Do we show the wound? Are you gasping for air? Are you not gasping for air? Is there a moment? It was like very, uh, very thoroughly thought out. That is so interesting to me because, and this really is back to something you said earlier, this show compared to the movies is so much bloodier and oh, yeah. there's like a body count by the yeah. end. Like, I know. That was right. shocking. And, and like the first national treasure was just like, bye bye, Shaw. Yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. Th that dude that fell down the pit, kind of uh -huh. like the, the guy that Kinda you were like talking about fell down the Love pit. Love it. Yeah. Love the nod. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, this one is a lot darker. I it's feel both like. both darker and lighter somehow at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really yeah, is. Quite literally. Yeah. Um, okay. So we have two questions left, one of which is like multi tiered, mm -hmm. but it's a game. It's our classic national treasure speed round that we subject every guest to on Play our the show. theme song let's hear it yeah <laughs> and that'll be in emily's post editing okay great are you ready <laughs> her eyes just went really wide. <laughs> yes yes I'm ready. is this actually timed no no you no, can no, I, no. a lot of people we say speed round and then the first question they're like thinking and they're like they literally say we're ruining your speed round that's verbatim <laughs> what ends up happening I, um i, won't, I promise if you could play the role of any other character in the National Treasure universe, who would you pick? Uh, initially, I want to say Riley Poole, but I want the um, Mona Lisa to be a painting of me instead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's Riley so Poole. specific. <laughs> Incredible. Okay. Favorite quote or scene from either the movies or the series? I don't know why it always sticks out to me. I think it's because I like little compartments and things, but with the desk, when they're going through the, um, what's it called? Uh, I Talking don't know the name of the desk. In the movies? Yeah, in the movies. Yeah. Resolute, Resolute desk? desk? The Resolute desk, yeah. It's something about that just, it's very satisfying to me and my own intricacies and quirks. It just <laughs> always sticks out in my head. Love it. We'll and, take and, it. And the it still stands for me, like I told you guys on the at the premiere, that uh speed trap camera thing is just one of the most brilliant post or pre cell phone things I've ever seen in my life. Mm -hmm. Did you know? See now I'm breaking the speed round. Did you yeah. know that the whole red light camera trick wasn't supposed to happen? Like that wasn't even in the final filming script. I think I'm gonna be telling me that on the carpet too. Yeah. <laughs> it actually it was supposed they were supposed to drive the cars into the the channel, the the channel tunnel in mm. London and then like get out of the, the tunnel and like run up the stairs and then Abigail was going to drop the camera that has the picture of the plank and then they just like run away. Way less cool. Yeah. Way less cool. It's also far more expensive to do that. So not only <laughs> did they save money, yes. but it's actually far more memorable because of it. 100%. Okay. Favorite filming destination or sort of um, just location in general from the movies or the series? 
I mean, it has to be Baton Rouge just because I know it so well. And watching it back is really cool because we spent months and months out there. Yeah. So to remember, I went there. We were at Whiskey Pete's. We actually got drinks. I ate, you know. Oh. Uh, I think it lends itself really nicely to American history and all that stuff. It cool. just You could feel it when you're in that city. All right. When we were on the carpet, we asked you one of our favorite uh, speed round questions, which was the number of lemons question. So we've mixed it up here. <laughs> Okay. And we've changed it. John Turtletop has actually told us that Patrick Gates's favorite lemon drink is an Arnold Palmer. What is mm. your favorite lemon drink? I'm going to say Arnold Palmer, but I'm going to add a little twist. And I'm going to say with a hibiscus lemonade, a hibiscus Ooh. infused lemonade, which I just had for the first time two days ago. That's why it's on my brain. That sounds and very that LA. Sounds very good. It's so LA. It was at a vegan restaurant and everything in Silver Lake. <laughs> so yeah, you can guarantee it was very LA. But yeah, an Arnold Palmer for me too. Sorry. Okay. Sorry, Mr. Turtletop. What is, and I'm very curious to this question, since you have a special relationship with the character, what is one word you would use to describe Agent Sadusky? <laughs> uh, I, my, my bad brain just wants to curse, so you'll put Haggis in again, but I won't do that. One word to describe Mr. Sadusky. Legendary. Ooh. All right. What is your favorite conspiracy theory from Riley Poole's book? I don't know if I know it well enough. I mean, well, we all want to know what's um, on page 64. 32? Wait. 47! Oh, no! <laughs> do you want... Dustin, I'll give you an option. Do you yeah. want to s repeat that line and say what's on page 47 and I will cut it <laughs> into the episode and then as a blooper, which we release blooper reels every once in a while, oh, I'll fun. use that like in an off-season blooper reel. I want you to keep everything in that you just said and, <laughs> uh, and just let people know how foolish I am. Okay. Yeah. Page 47. I knew it was page 47, and I was just making sure that you knew. Mm. Yeah, we yeah. we actually have a t-shirt that says what's on page 47. Do you really? We mm. do. We have a little, little merch store for funsies, and it's, it's so much fun because I've told this to Emily multiple times. If you wear that in public, you have got to be prepared for people to ask you. You need to have an answer ready. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, my what do gosh. You say, then? Do you? Ah. I have it on my car. A bumper sticker. <laughs> A bumper, cool. sorry, not a t-shirt. Yeah, I have a bumper like sticker a t of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like people tape those like dolls to their car. Yeah. Oh, I just have a yeah. Um, no, I have a bumper sticker and I was driving in like North Philly and two guys pulled up in their car next to me, like in not an actual lane and oh. rolled their window down and were like, what's on page 47? And I was like, uh... <laughs> I, I don't what know. Did you say? <laughs> I I said I don't know. I couldn't think. I'm not good. I designed so that shirt. Is, okay. so <laughs> I'm not good under pressure. Now, if you're prepared. Yeah, are you prepared answer? now, Em? Well, I think well one of mm, no. I well <laughs> no, no. because anything I'm gonna say is just gonna be something Aubrey's thought of. That's fine. You can steal so, mine. I've told you you can steal mine. Well, yeah, so take, one of take it as your own. One of the big things was involving like Sacagawea originally. Okay, I like that. That was before Edge of History. <laughs> Edge of History. <laughs> so uh -huh. it's probably not that. Um, another one is um, the potential that Seward's Folly was like a cover-up type thing. Okay. Yes, that's well, that was that's my big idea that I wrote into our book. Yes. Uh, I've officially 
pre-ordered your book. Oh my gosh! It's being shipped whenever you guys ship it. It's coming out in April. Thank you so much. I can't wait. I'm going to need to continue the National Treasure Love somehow since, you know, I'm dead. No, you know what we're going to do when when inevitably a season two happens, you're going to come on our podcast again and we're going to recap it together. Okay, great. That'd be fun, right? Yeah, I could be like the real life Riley Poole that's, uh, you know, dissecting the book. You could be. Okay. We really ruined the speed round. We ourselves. did it this time. Yeah, all us. Um, yeah, okay, how's so- my time? Excellent. <laughs> you have one more though. I mean, uh-huh. we know what your answer is going to be, but National Treasure or Book of Secrets? Which movie? You know what my answer is going to be. I mean, I feel oh, like you yeah. said it already. I just want to say Book of Secrets just to mess with you, but <laughs> yeah, National Treasure. Okay. I don't know if we've had anyone say Book of Secrets. One person. One person? Charles Seegers. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that makes sense. So Charles Seegers, I don't know if you ever ended up meeting him. He and Oren Aviv were the two, like, story creators of the franchise. I think I did meet him, yes. He's pretty cool. And he he liked, he's the only person we've ever had say Book of Secrets to that question. Wow. I just want to be um, in any scene with Diane Kruger. That's all I want. I mean, he, we, we you and us both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Let's yeah. all make our way over there. <laughs> okay, great. See you there. <laughs> okay, so thank you for the not speedy speed round on our part. Um, but we like to end this out on a slightly more serious note. Um, I always get to ask this question, and I say this every time, but it makes me feel really nice to be able to be the one that asked this question um because it's very meaningful to me um what is one message that you have for national treasure fans that are listening to our conversation today first it's buy your book thank you you're the best and it's i see this is the wing four in me wanting to be original but I have to go with what how I actually feel. So I'm going to give you some some real heart to heart. Okay. Uh, cliche, cheesy, and totally honest. Thank you for sticking with it, for continuing to watch. For those that are still watching, not giving up just because our dear Nick Cage wasn't in it. My goodness, if you knew how hard they tried to get him, um, you people would not be commenting the way they are (laughs) Um, being so angry because it is, it was not um, an afterthought by any means. It was uh, yeah, a full, a full blown campaign that just didn't come to fruition and it is what it is, but thank you for still sticking with it and uh, knowing that it's even bigger than a singular actor. And hopefully you fall in love with all these new actors. Amazing. Well, Dustin, Thank you again for spending this time with us. We are so excited to bring this conversation to our listeners. We know they're going to love it. So thank you. Thank you guys so much. Well, I enjoyed that very much. That is possibly the highlight of my month. Oh my gosh. That's so sweet. Um, Yeah. What an interview. That was actually really fun, not just to learn more about Miles, but to learn more about Dustin as an actor and kind of how he goes about acting and the process, which is pretty, pretty cool. Definitely very cool. Um, I think, you know, obviously there's a lot to pick from, but if we're talking favorite, favorite parts (laughs) from the interview, um, mine is probably fairly obvious, but it was when Dustin told us at the very beginning of the interview that his first 
acting role was playing uh, one of the children in the musical Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, which I love. Yeah, I knew you. As soon as you started saying that, like the little brain, the little wheel in my brain was like, oh, here she goes. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's it. Um, I don't know. There's nothing not to like about that whole conversation. But can we talk about how amazing it is that he pre-ordered our book during the interview (laughs) just in the middle it was so great oh my gosh that is like so so kind but also um so funny I love love it so much um but honestly hard pressed to like I said find anything not to like about that whole conversation and I really do hope he'll come back and maybe uh he can be like a honorary co-host to talk about a potential season two of Edge of History Mm -hmm. That would be awesome. Well, thank you again, Dustin, for joining us. Um, If you haven't already, you should check out Dustin as Miles on Edge of History, which is streaming now on Disney+. Additionally, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. And please don't forget to pre-order our book. Maybe, you know. Be a little bit like Dustin. Take a shot at that. (laughs) We love it. And don't forget to come back here to the National Treasure Hunt podcast for the rest of season six of our show. Not only do we have some great regular season content coming your way, but we also have some more special guests. But until then, I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And thank you so much for joining us on our National Treasure Hunt. (laughs) 